moving your career further faster. That's the mission behind Cascading Leadership. Each week, we're bringing you stories of women, immigrants, members of the global majority who have risen to the ranks of senior leadership in the world of business. Get ready to gather the insights of some of the world's best business leaders and apply those to your career. If you're interested in sales and marketing effectiveness, organizational effectiveness, talent strategy, DEI, or HR tech, tune in. We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. Previously, during our conversation with Tessa Carey. What she talked to me about in terms of entering the workforce and my brother were the things that she thought would be a barrier for us. So the way that we looked, the way that we behaved, the way that we spoke, all of those kinds of things so that when we went into the workforce, the majority would be comfortable with us and we would be able to matriculate through. And she honestly, for the most part, was correct. She said things to me. She said things to me like, look, you need to speak clearly. You need to speak concisely. You don't stop using these slang words. Don't. She would say things like, don't be too ethnic. And LB, you might know what that means. Just don't be too ethnic as in the way that people see it represented on TV and other places. She is the reason why I have straight hair today. I promise you, I have no idea what my curl pattern looks like because Early on, my mom said, look, you need to straighten your hair. You need to, you can't go in there with an Afro. You can't go in there with braids. The whole unprofessional conversation that thankfully is going away now. These are the things that she said to me because she was like, I know you're smart. I know you're going to do well, but I don't want these things to keep you from being able to do what you want to do. And now the conclusion of our conversation with Tessa Carey. And, and that's really how I transitioned in, into the work world. And I found my maiden name is Irvin. So my name was Tessa Irvin. I went to a predominantly white institution. I wasn't in a fraternity or sorority. So there was really no indication on my resume that I was African-American, not purposefully. It just, that's just how it turned out. And as I began to interview, some interesting things happened, right? People thought that I would look and be one way. And when they spoke to me on the phone, they could not tell that I was African-American. So when they finally would meet me, you would get the jaw drop or the stutter or the I had an experience where somebody didn't even realize it was me they kept going back and forth I was sitting out there for an interview they kept going back and forth because they were looking for a Caucasian girl it's just all of it was very interesting but I'm thankful that my mom told me the things that she told me because I feel like it helped me matriculate through before everybody has gotten to the point now where people realize it's not okay to cover be who you are I think we're I think we're both racing to this one. I think that I'm glad that you completed that statement with how today it's better. Mm-hmm. But it is we, we cannot ignore the fact that this this is something that so many people do not understand that these are the sacrifices that oftentimes ethnic, ethnically diverse populations do in order to assimilate into an environment where they have the opportunity to move as far as they possibly could in their careers. The conversations that we have, and I don't, know if I, I don't even know if I should say this out loud, but I'm going to. So when you were saying the idea notion, this is something that we used to get, both my wife and I, my wife is from Haiti. And when people hear us on the phone and then we would come in and they would, oh, they didn't, the stereo, they were looking for, they were looking for the stereotype of what their belief, how black people sound, quote unquote. Yep. But one of the other things that was, 
slight nuance was that they would say to us, if we would mention that we were West Indian, they would say, oh, oh, I, that's what it is. You're different. Yeah. And when we were younger, we were, it took me a second to, to get it. I'm like, what do you mean different? And actually it was one of my buddies when we were kids that were like, oh, they mean that we don't, we're not like, we don't act out and all this other stuff and blah, blah, blah. And so he was saying it that way because his parents were very prim and proper. Yeah. <laughs> and as I got older, I heard much more colorful language around around what that is. And when you were even talking about the the, the hair and can I touch your hair? And I mm-hmm. recently just talked about the Crown Act, which is essentially now it is illegal to discriminate against someone's hair. Just you said a lot. And I'm like, OK, where do we go? Tessa, your story, I think, is relevant for a lot of brown people, because as you were telling it, I was like, holy crap, my, my parents had that same conversation with me, except my dad and mom weren't, we didn't have the split in the household where your mom had a certain voice and your dad had a certain voice. Both my parents had that same conversation, but they were usually with a plastic sandal in their hand saying, you better not do that again. It's it's interesting. And I think to LB's point, I don't want to beat a dead horse. I, the It's great that you have to be less concerned now about the optics of how you present to advance your own opportunity. So that's progress. One day, everybody can be, everybody talks about bring your whole self to work. Yep. One day, hopefully that's actually put into practice. You've had a lot of these instances where people have judged you either overtly or covertly based on optics. And I know that we touched on it a little bit, but I think other people that are going through that experience and you referenced your spiritual foundation, if somebody doesn't have that sort of spiritual foundation, what's your advice to those folks on how they can navigate that without hatred or bitterness in their heart? Everybody's not spiritual. So if you don't have that spiritual grounding, what I would say is the bitterness hurts you more than it hurts anybody else. I can't remember who said it. My mom or grandma was some sort of quote, being bitter or mad at somebody is like feeding yourself poison, but expecting them to die. That's what it is. And that's true. And honestly, if you get upset every time somebody says something to you, they shouldn't say, you'll be upset your entire life every day. It will be a miserable existence. So for me, it's really just realizing that people are people and that they're going to disappoint you. They're going to hurt you. They're going to say things that you don't like, that are mean, that are unkind. And you just have to know that's how people are and or that what they think of you is their issue. It's their problem. It's not yours. Yeah, I think that there's definitely agreed. There's definitely an element to what you're talking about is building your resilience. And we've talked about this, I think, several different times about really building resilience and grit. And the other part of it is that I was talking to someone who I had listened to the show and asked me a question. I'm trying to remember what the question was, but it was relative to, but what about people who who really are doing things that are wrong or really Mm -hmm. are doing things that they're not supposed to do in the the workplace in particular, because that was the question. So when you experience that, kind of what you said is a response that I had is along the lines of, we recognize what it is, right? We wouldn't be having the show quite on the topic that we are on if we didn't understand. But whether or not we care for it, like it, it's your resilience that you must build in order to be successful across the board. We're not just talking yeah. about issues for women, immigrants, and ethnically diverse populations. This really applies to everyone. You have to build your resilience to be able to, and 
I love the quote, right? That basically you're feeding yourself poison, expecting somebody else to die. There's nothing more true. So that's a great call out. You had all of this vibrant experience as you're coming up and entering the early world of work. And then as you progressed, you've had pretty high level roles in talent and you've been on that trajectory for a while. What are the things that you've seen that are problematic from a talent strategy perspective? And how have you been working at solving those throughout your career? One of the things that I have seen from a talent perspective is that people hire and promote and mentor and sponsor people that look like them. And that's been a thing I've seen just from the very beginning of my career. And what I have tried to do as a part of my talent journey is to try to give people more information is to try to to try to help people make better decisions by doing things like taking all of the names off of resumes and handing them a stack of resumes just doing very simple things that will make people focus on other things other than who they're comfortable with cuz let's be honest everybody does it we've been conditioned to do it it's how our brains work our brains take in, what is it, like 11 million pieces of information every minute or something like that, but you can only process 40 of those. And if you're really smart, maybe more, I don't know. But so it's something that everybody does. People take shortcuts, their brains take shortcuts because that's how you get through the world. And so for me, it's helping people bypass those shortcuts and be able to make decisions based on the data that is in front of them that matters. This person is a high potential. This person is a high performer. This person has met their met or exceeded their KPIs three years in a row. Let's focus on the things that are really important and move the other things out. Looking at it from the standpoint of what you were describing, at least how I understood it, is this idea and notion of uh, we, we want to be homogenous, right? In terms of, and sometimes it, it makes sense. Because what you're talking about is the default is that the cheat codes that we establish help us to be more successful, or so we think. But it becomes important to bring in those diverse perspectives and what have you, but they be brought in by who is the person capable of doing the job. See, the conversation oftentimes falls on, we need this person that looks like X. And then that's really what the problem is, is that when we are coaching, training, developing folks, who are, and then they're qualified to do it, then you get that organically. So today, like for example, I was I had given a I'd given a talk and it's called six six percent women CEOs, and I was talking about how necessary it is for us to live into fixing that problem, and that is definitely a problem in my mind. And I gave the example that in my career, at one point, something amazing happened for me, and it was two things. I started working with women on my team, and then I started working for women. And then I started to see from a different perspective that I started to notice because I had these amazing leaders. I started going, well, where are the rest of them? Yeah. And they're amazing, like totally, like I think I thrive the most in my career under female leadership. And I thought, wow. So I'm looking for, quote unquote, for those of you who know what this is, the plug, right? The cheat code to continue my trajectory. And it wasn't there. And so I think it became important for me to say, okay, let me do my part, understand my privilege to have the conversation around whenever I have the opportunity. Why don't we have more women? Because I know they're capable. This is not even a question of capability, but do recognize the fact that whatever's missing in the room, and it's really speaking more to what you're saying, if we look at this way, is avoid the homogeneity. 
build high developing teams with the best talent. Absolutely. One of the initiatives that it sounded like you're working on is removing bias in the hiring process. And it's interesting that oftentimes you're, you've been on internal TA and I've been on the staffing and recruiting side. And I think we both fight the same battle where the hiring managers, hypothetically, as a person, mm -hmm. the hiring managers are going to, to LB's point, we want somebody that looks like this. And our conversation back to those hiring managers is, no, you want people that have delivered this outcome. Yes. And that's what you should be measuring, not we want people that look like this. And one of the things that I struggle with, and this is where I'm going to need your help or advice in, and maybe this is just because I'm a jaded staffing person. Everybody cites culture fit as a reason for not talking to somebody. Yep. And I hear that and I automatically, and this is my bad, I automatically go to that's some BS. Like this person has delivered the outcomes that you're looking for multiple times and you're citing culture fit. That's give me something more than that. So how do you bridge the gap of two things? Okay. Eliminating bias in the hiring process and eliminating that culture fit as a cop-out reason for not wanting to talk to somebody. I don't know that culture fit is necessarily, necessarily a cop-out. I think it is in the hiring process because you don't really know enough about this person to know whether they are a culture fit or not. That is a great <laughs> call-out because I'm looking... So the scenario where I would get those is that I would submit a candidate with the outcomes that they delivered. They'd look at the paper and not even talk to the person and cite culture fit. So that's a good distinction. Sorry. Yeah. You talk to somebody three times and yeah, you get a feel for who they are, but you don't really know if they're going to fit in the culture. You find out quickly once they actually come into the culture, because if you think about when you hire somebody, knowledge, skills, and abilities, a lot of times are not the reason why people get fired. It's the how they're doing things right? It's the, maybe they're leaving 30 dead bodies in their wake as they're going about the day. So I do think culture fit is important, but not in the hiring process. You cannot know that you're just guessing. So in that instance, I definitely agree with you. It's a cop-out. It's a, well, right. And we don't know really the reason why, but culture fit, we've allowed people to say culture fit is the issue. And we really know that it's not. So the other part of the question that I'd, I'd like some insight into is what can HR leaders and talent acquisition leaders do to remove bias in the interview process, in the entire strategy spectrum? So we already talked about removing names from resumes. And I would even say that in mentoring processes as well. So I have done some mentoring processes, some mentoring programs that maybe only had 30 slots right? So this is, it's for a group of high potentials. There's only 30 slots. We're removing all the names. Anything where you can try to pinpoint who that person is, we're removing it. We're going to add some rigor to the process. So we're going to do some sort of assessment. It could be personality assessment that meets a, we may have a role model right out here. And then we'll do a talent assessment to see how close they match this role model for this particular role or for this particular development or mentoring opportunity. I think one way to do it, especially with talent, is to have something to compare it to. So decide if you're trying to choose leaders, right? Decide as a company what the leader looks like at this company, what knowledge, skills, abilities, and outcomes should a leader have and produce. And then you compare what you have to this framework and model that you've set up. And that helps you take a lot of, and managers don't like it, honestly. 
because they get really irritated when they think somebody is high potential, but it doesn't match what the company has said is high potential. And my only, the only thing I can say is we've agreed as a company that this is what that looks like. And this person doesn't look like that. Doesn't mean that they're not a high performer. Doesn't mean that there's not special talent things that we can do for them and targeted development that we can provide. But in terms of this opportunity, they don't meet, they don't meet the criteria that we set in place. So it's, again, just taking all of that stuff that doesn't matter out of it and comparing people, even taking, we're not taking into account gender, any of it. And what I've found is that when you take those things out, you really get the cream of the crop. You really get who you're looking for. And a lot of times it's pretty diverse. It comes out pretty diverse at the end because you're just not taking into account any of that stuff. You're only taking into account what's important. Yeah, I definitely understand where you're coming from. And I, Jim, I appreciate you drawing this distinction because just so that, at least from my perspective, that the listeners are clear on what we're saying, is Jim was talking about this idea and notion from the recruiting process because at the recruiting process, at the recruiting step, the potential is that they're intentionally or unintentionally excluding people. Yes. And what you're talking about is that once we have them in the hopper, once they're a part of the organization, because you have to work for work towards that. There are some industries where there are deficits, right? Like in STEM, it's women, people of color. And once you get them in and start that process to to expose, right, that we have candidates who are who are good all the way across the board. But it was something that you said that made me think of one of the issues that came up in research that I had done couple of companies ago. And what we found was that these middle managers are oftentimes so pressed to do what the what their primary KPIs are. They don't think about other impacts. So one of the things that we extrapolated out, I wouldn't say we know this for sure, but that homogeny is why it comes into play. Like you put people up on your backs and on your team, they'll think like you and they'll come with they'll develop the same outcome which is there's no guarantee that is actually going to happen. And Jim says this famously all the time that what we find is organically diverse groups outperform. And so that, I think that's an important call out. Tessa, as you have shared so much with us, I'm curious to know what would be the top two or three takeaways that you would like to leave with our listeners that would be Tesla's law as to how they can improve their career. So one thing I would say, and it's going to sound really strange for me to say it because I didn't do it for a lot of years. It is very recent for me. Be authentically who you are. Just do it. And if you don't, as Jim mentioned, if you don't fit into the culture, then find the culture where you fit, right? It goes back to that. Find your people. It's the same kind of thing. Be authentically who you are. And once you know who that is, then find the people who get you. Find the company that gets you. Find the purpose and work that fits with who you are. Because it's hard to be successful when you're trying to just grit through it every day. It is. I know because I did it for a lot of years. And the first two things are really just find who your people are or be authentically you and then find who your people are. And then I guess if there was a third thing, and this is going to sound very cliche, but it's it's just be open, right? Especially if you're a leader, be, and maybe open is not what I'm looking for. I think it's more be a servant, right? 
people need to feel loved. They need to be feel cared for. They need to feel like if there's an issue, they can come and talk to you about it. They need people need that support. Everybody doesn't need it in the same way. But if you're going to go on this leadership journey, you have to serve people. You're at the bottom of the pyramid, holding everybody else, removing barriers, making sure people have what they need, comforting folks when they, when their parent dies and they've got to manage that. How are you as a leader managing those things with that person? Are you just saying, here's policy, bye, and we'll see you when you get back? Or are you really caring for that person and serving that person in whatever way they need it? I think it was great. And here's the thing about, we do not tell our guests to say these different things, but something that Tessa said that is just absolutely so poignant about the show is that you said you didn't do a lot of these things, right? But now you see And now you're sharing with others and it's going to help them to move their career further and faster. We want people to be able to learn from the mistakes that we've made because Jim and I have talked about this quite a bit and it sounds like you're right in the camp with us that what we are trying to be are the people that we wanted when we were younger in our careers to tell us all of these things and to avoid a lot of these I think Tessa has one other thing that she wants to put out there. So there's actually a fourth element. So Tessa, (laughs) go ahead and throw that out there. All I will say is go dogs. All right. With that, (laughs) thank you, Tessa, for being on the show. For everyone that is listening in, it's all in love. She'll be, what are they, bulldogs or something like that? (laughs) But I must admit that I give respect where respect is due. They... Georgia actually really had an amazing team this year, and no one, I think, can discount that. So I will give credit where credit is due. For those that are listening to us banter back and forth about Georgia and Alabama, there is so much more to this show, and we would really appreciate your feedback on the Cascade Leadership Show. You can find us for updates on various social media platforms. We are on YouTube, LinkedIn. Dr. Jim is doing some amazing things on TikTok, so go check them out. He's really putting a lot into trying to develop his creative side. And we are also on YouTube. So with that, I thank you all so much for joining our show. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me at jim at cascadingleadership.com. Tune in next time for another great episode that will help you move your career further faster.